Today's readings are Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 to 2, and verses 17 to 18, and Luke chapter 13, verses 31 to 35. They can be found on pages 14 and 963 of the Bibles next to your seats as well as on the screen. This is God's word. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these things to him, cut them in two, and arranged them in the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was set, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. The reading from Luke. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox. I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent to you, those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Friends, I invite you to pray with me. Our gracious God, as we come into these seats, um, we assume others can't understand the things that we're processing this morning. 
Maybe we think people won't get it. They won't get the sadness that we have. They don't get the intricacies of, of what we feel sad about or what we feel um, angry about. We assume others couldn't possibly understand what we are just really excited about today. And maybe we hold within the kinds of things that we bring that might be questions or doubts or things that are a part of us that are in our past or in our presence that we don't feel, we don't feel very good about. We might come um, excited or frustrated this morning or any number of other places. And the truth is that you're, you're seeing that you're with us amidst it. And we all, um, if we could see through all of our defenses, we would see that we're all more of a mess than we want to admit. And as you look into the mess, you've crafted and initiated a relationship with us that says that even though we're a mess, we are loved. If anything we're going to walk away with in our relationship with you is to know that you can love us despite the places that we find ourselves. And you're going to, you want to, and you want to impress that upon us moving forward so that we'll know that, yeah, we're more of a mess than we care to admit, but in Christ, we are more loved and accepted than we ever imagined. God, I pray that that may um, set into our hearts in a new way this morning in the ways we need to hear it. And that we may walk away um, in a sense being taught through that loving grace and shaped and formed into the, the lives that we've often had an inkling that we could become, that your grace would actually finally empower us to get there. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how about those campaign promises? <laughs> See, now I already lost my audience because I, I brought up the thing that you're trying to not think about but keeps creeping in at every place. What is, a, what is a campaign promise that's most likely to be broken? You got any, any ideas? Anything comes to mind? Campaign promise that's most likely to be broken? I'll build a big wall. That's good. Peace in the Middle East. Hmm. That's good. No, it's good. It's good. My mind goes back to when I was in the small town I grew up in called Ripon, an hour south of here, and... The train brought someone into town on the campaign trail. It was George Bush, the first one. And my brother got to play his trombone in the band. And we saw him stand on that stage, and yes, he said it. No new taxes. <laughs> he broke it. Famously. Someone said in the, con in the uh, question of the week, Here's the promise that is for sure to be broken. Getting rid of corruption and influence of money on politicians. Another person said, the, the promise of, you can trust me. <laughs> I, uh, I can give you the thing you want. 
Um, someone said, I love God, I love the Bible, I have a great relationship with the evangelicals. <laughs> I like this one because it's not really a cam- campaign question. Somebody said, um, somebody said the promise of, I'm doing that reading with you, Mark, which, <laughs> which was the, that at, last week was the week where I said, you know, who's, who's doing the scripture readings during Lent? At home. That's funny. What about daily promises? What kind of promises do you make on a daily basis? And do you trust them? Do you, are you dependable? Do you, do you ever break them? Are you a promise breaker? I'll pay you back, I promise. Right? That report will be in by fri- at Friday by 5, I promise. Honey, I'll never put the car in the garage again with an empty gas tank, I promise. <laughs> Mom, Dad, get us that new game system. We won't ever fight again, we promise. <laughs> and, you know, we all have a different trajectory of our lives when it comes to how dependable we think of as promises. I mean, some, you might grow up and it's like, you just, you just feel like promises are, 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 are so dependable. Like the promise itself is, might as well be the truth. And others might grow up from an early age just with this sense of like, a promise is worth nothing, you know, sadly, a child, you know, having just that sense of, but that's for all of us, really, life, at some point, life is going to sour you on the promise-keeping capabilities of your fellow human beings, and you'll begin to say to yourself, eh, we'll see, right? Someone, says, someone promises something, eh, we'll see. Abram's kind of, uh, the story we're focusing on is the one read, the reading from Genesis of Abram. Abram's kind of in that mode towards God. Eh, we'll see. So what's happened is in Genesis 12, God showed up out of nowhere into Abram's life. Abram was in a strange part of the world and he was just this guy that was connected to this family and it seems like that's a it was an area of strong idol worship and worshiping the moon god and his father seemed to be an idol maker and and this god Yahweh just comes in and just starts making promises to Abram out of nowhere and then Abram kind of picks up everything and starts um, you know kind of the thing is like Here's these promises now come along to, to grab hold of them, to, to, see, to see them come true. And so he does. And the promises go basically like, I'm going to make you into a great nation and all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Another promise that comes in is, and you will have all this offspring and to them I will give this land. And then this other promise that we read in verse 1 do not be afraid. I am your shield and your great reward. So there's just these strong words. Abram says, eh, we'll see. I mean, he does pick up and follow, but then he starts to hit, you know, kind of hard times on these promises because it doesn't seem like they're, they're following, you know, they're like they're happening. And so we see him twice in this passage throwing it back to this new being in his life that he's following this God and saying, um, like in verse 2, he says, uh, yeah, but God, um, okay, great nation, um, offspring going to get this land. 
he's really old. He's like 75 or 80. He's right around there. Uh, I still don't have, I've been following you. I still don't have any offspring. And my, anything I have goes to this servant in my household he's, in terms of the order of inheritance. And then as the thing goes on, he says, it basically just kind of pulls back and asks in a different way. It just kind of says, how do, in verse 8, Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know? How can I know that I will gain possession of this land? Eh, he's, he says, eh, I'm not sure this is going to happen. These promises, are they reliable? Maybe Abram is like you and me, soured by humanity's promise-breaking tendencies. And maybe he just wants assurance or proof. Have you ever been in a place where you want God and the reality of God and whatever that is? Maybe you're in a place where you say, I don't even, whatever that is, whatever that means, if, and you just want to know, can I get some assurance? Can I get some clarity? Maybe, it, maybe you want evidence. Maybe you want a stronger internal feeling about it. In some way, like, you, demand, you know, you demand of God, and you might even feel, the Bible's filled, maybe you don't feel like you can throw it back at God and demand some clarity or some evidence. The Bible's full of these key characters, like Abram, kind of saying, I'm going to do business with this promise that you put into my life, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, like, what's up with that? I want a little more assurance that's happening in the story with Abram. But Abram's stories in the beginning of the book of, the, of Genesis, which is the beginning of the Bible, they're really important even for just understanding Christianity and getting like key things right. And the reason they're really important is because when God begins a relationship with Abram and eventually changes his name to Abraham, it's God's beginning of rebuilding a relationship that's really severely broken. And Genesis 1 and 2 is this picture of the whole, the unbroken relationship, the unbroken kind of world. And then Genesis 3 and beyond is the, the um, snowball, chaotic falling apart of this um, relationship with God and then subsequently the world around humanity. So you get to Genesis 11 and it's just a total mess. And so God enters back in. It's like, a, it's like okay, here we go. This is going to be the, the rest of the story. And in fact, that's how it is. The rest of the story of the Bible, starting at Genesis 12, is this rebuilding the relationship now with the assumption of, you know, the, the, the world was a very reliable kind of thing at the very beginning, but now the world is very broken and unreliable. So now God enters in. So in, in a sense, it's the same world now still. It's the same God that Christians look to through Jesus. We're later on in that relationship, in that story, but the themes that begin to be in place in Genesis 12 and all the way through the rest of the Bible are still the same, and they're important for understanding Christianity. They're foundational even to double-check your own understanding of, um, of God. Do you understand God correctly? You know, asking a very basic question that connects with the story of, does my standing with God... It all depend on my reliability in the relationship? Does my standing with God at all depend on my reliability in the relationship? And your answer basically to that question 
determines whether you've correctly understood the Bible's sense of God. And I'm very aware in my conversations with neighbors and friends and family and, and all of you that we, we have a really hard time, actually, with just this fundamental question of our relationship with God. Does it, our standing with God, does it depend on our reliability? Let me put it, let me read what, how I put it in a blog this week. Most people, most of the time, are getting God all wrong. Here's why. We assume that the whole God, church, religion, Jesus thing is about bettering yourself. We assume God people must be the people who have refined a few behaviors just enough to squeak into God's good graces. That means there are other people that haven't made those moral adjustments and those people are less spiritually accomplished and can't be assured of getting the thumbs up from the man or woman upstairs. So that's pretty much it. And so we assume, and usually we find it to be true, that if you go to one of those God group meetings on the weekend, you'll be taught and inspired to work harder at the list. And that's because that's the message, right? This surprises no one because what else could the whole God, church, religion, Jesus thing be all about? Isn't that it? And I'm here to say that there is something else, and it's very evident in the Abram story. I put it this way. Instead, it's about finding out that God makes a promise and keeps it. And that promise is given to all of us of whom no one is any better than the other, not even after finding out about God's promise. That's actually a really humbling thing that a lot of people who have entered into the Christian faith and then talk to me about their journey, it's humbling and frustrating because you feel like, am I making any progress? You know, I got a neighbor who doesn't even believe all this stuff. They seem like they're way nicer than I am, right? Anybody ever had that feeling? Um, so there's not a list you need to be devoted to. There's a God who is devoted to you. You are invited to let that devotion of God to you change your entire outlook. Then you'll find little by little that life is just different and that you have an inspiration and a motivation towards goodness that surpasses any list. And around City Life Church, we call that little bit that I just said, the gospel. That it's God's promise and not yours that it all comes down to. Whose reliability, whose promises does your relationship with God depend on? It's God's. And when you read Genesis, um, if you read kind of all around this story, like before, during, and after this story, it's hilarious how unreliable Abram and Sarai are. I mean, the, the shenanigans they pull because they don't trust God um, are kind of amazing. It's so obvious that this relationship is not going to depend on their reliability. And if you look carefully, there's no, um, there's no uh, presumption that it's supposed to. These interactions don't, you notice the interaction around this, um, this passage we just read. Never was it like, well, Abram, you know, you haven't been reliable, and that's why these things haven't happened yet. That's not at all the reaction. 
It's all just going to depend on God. Because Abram shows us that we're all in the same boat in our unreliability. What's up with the animals, right? Being cut in half? Let me transition to that. It's really not a transition. <laughs> there, there's all of a sudden these animals, they're all cut in half, and Abram just seems to know to do that. Um, well, it's another, it's a very visceral way of making the same point that's already in here, that God's reliability is going to win the, win the day. There's something called in the ancient way of treaty making and covenant making, there's something called a self-maledictory oath. Um, and in Hebrew, even in this passage where it says, and God made a covenant that day with Abraham, in Hebrew, the way that sounds in their language is God cut a covenant. So we might say, I signed the deed or I signed the agreement. You know, I signed the agreement. They would say, I cut the covenant. Um, so, so we have pens and, and paper and so they had animals and blood. And uh, I don't know, it's, that might stick with me more than just signing something. <laughs> if I had to smell that and walk through that and get the sticky on my sandals. They cut a covenant. And an ancient, there's an ancient um, covenant. Just to, to give you a sample, there's many out there, but this is inscribed on some ancient covenant um, inscriptions. This phrase that one of the kings in a treaty says, Just as I am tearing the shoulder off this sheep, may my own shoulder be torn from its socket if I violate this agreement. That's, that's, that's a self-maledictory oath. Um, if the relationship of this covenant is broken, blood will be spilled by the covenant breaker. And it has to. That's, you know, it's the sense of, of that's just how it worked. You know, we might say, like, well, it doesn't have to. You know, we've just got a different cultural outlook. If, you, you know, if you're in the story, you say, yes rip off that guy's shoulder. You know, I mean, it's this sense of like, this is how it works. This is what covenants are. But there's a surprise, is that this covenant will include a very unreliable partner in this treaty. And does, but does he ask Abram and Sarai to walk through the animals? He doesn't. In fact, this whole smoking fire pot um, just kind of f- floating through in between the two pieces is representing the presence of God walking through, making that self-maledictory oath. In this covenant, God doesn't ask Abram to make this oath of your, you are going to pay if you are unreliable. This is all going to hinge on you. And so you better walk through there. You better, you, know, you better sign this, sign your life away. You better walk through that and think about, do you want your blood spilled someday? God doesn't do that. He just has Abraham, Abraham just gets to watch as, as God's presence goes before. And what kind of statement does that make about how, what these promises of this new relationship with God, whose promises are they going to rely on? Um, so we know that Abram's the one, Abram and Sarah are the ones that are most likely to be unreliable in this relationship. And yet, their unreliability is not going to thwart 
the relationship. They don't come in and save the day with their reliability. God comes in and wins the day. Who's more likely to be unreliable in our relationship with God? The Bible is very clear. No contest. We win every time at the unreliability game. But God wins the day with his reliability. And that's what's going on with Jesus. You know, in many ways today, um, if the Bible was written, I don't know that the, the covenant and the sacrifice and the animals and the blood would, would work because that's not our worldview. In fact, oftentimes now you talk to people and, they don't, and, and that's a sort of a barrier for getting the Christian faith. Jesus as a sacrifice, his blood shed for me, um, at communion, we talk about you know how Jesus said, "Drink my blood." You know, it, it feels way out of context for us today. The Bible's whole story is told though through that those vivid pictures, and that's what's happening with Jesus on the cross. As he goes to the cross, it's like he's walking through the uh, pieces again. It's in fact, it's it's the self maledictory oath coming down on God himself as Jesus. We call him the God-man. Your ancient theologians tried to figure out who, who is this? How do we understand this? He is both God and man. And because then he can, he can be reliable on both sides of the covenant, on both sides of the treaty, on both sides of the promise. So that like there's a reliable side over here and then there's Abram and Sarai and all of us. And then, but now there's Jesus on both sides. And there's God on both sides through Jesus. And so once again, as with Abraham, it all hinges on God's reliable promise. And it all comes to that through Jesus. It's, it's amazing how we don't want that to be the way our relationship with God works. It's just unbelievable. In a sense, I, I'm sure God scratches his head at the, how our, the default drive of our human heart is to try to earn our way into God's good graces. And we just keep saying, give me a list I can do to feel better about my relationship with God. Um, and if you think about it, how does, if, if your relationship with God is completely hinging on his reliability and not your own in your relationship with God, think of how, how that reflects then if that is how you are in your relationship with God, then as you go out into your relationships with people, how, how reliable are, are people? I don't know. In your relationships at work and family and neighbors, you know, right? You're kind of you're doing, maybe you're trying to be nice and doing this, but it's kind of going, it's turning this way a little bit, especially certain people, right? <laughs> okay, so let's say in your relationship with God, you think of God as someone who sticks it to you and, and says, you, you better be reliable or my love is in question. So then what's your approach with others? the rest of your life, you're going to be dealing with kind of like this in terms of reliability. Um, so you're setting yourself up for, first of all, it just doesn't seem very fun to set yourself up for that because you're going to regularly be sticking it to the people in your life and saying, and, and, you're, and that, there's going to be an anger and a bitterness that grows. And you're always going to be in question, not only just with other people, you're always going to be in question about your standing with God. And the whole Christian faith um, gives you this other option that says, you have been shaped by God's saying it won't rely. I know you've been unreliable with me, 
and I've found a way for us still to be good. I've stepped in and shouldered the burden of your unreliability. Have you ever done that with someone else in your life? A lot of you have. And if you stop and think about that, isn't it kind of amazing? You probably don't want to do that with someone else in your life right now. But there may be a way in which that's exactly the only way for the relationship to find its wholeness is that if you feel confident in your relationship with God that you're good and it's not, he's not sticking his finger to you, you might have the peace enough to not pin someone else against the wall with your demands of their reliability. Let us pray. Our God of grace, um, we need your help in understanding this good news in this gospel. Will you help us? Will you help us when we struggle ourselves to, um, uh, to really believe that it, it, just, it, it just really doesn't hinge on our good behavior to be good with you? We struggle with that, but then also when we realize that we're in a conversation with someone who just imagined, the only thing they can imagine is that that's what people of faith are like and that's, how, that's our operating system. And in those situations, God, would you even just give us simple words maybe to be able to shed fresh light on who Jesus is and who you are and how that changes us? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.